Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. It's time. It is time. To the podcast time. You're usually so good with freestyle. You you psyched yourself out there. Dude, you did. You did. And then I was like. Did that throw you off? I didn't mean it to throw me off. No, that's all right. I was just trying to add some flavor. Dude, you had that's so much flavor. Not that much Dude, flavor. Dude, you're pretty full flavored. Well, maybe uh, vanilla, <laughs> if that's a, the flavor. Dude, do you know how much expensive vanilla beans cost? There's like some very fine, beautiful vanilla in the world. Do you know? Do you even know what kind of designer vanilla there is? I don't. I genuinely don't. Yeah, yeah man. Most people are just like, I'm going to get some Madagascar vanilla. I don't think most people would say those words. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know most people. Oh, uh, well. Oh, for Pete's sake. Yeah, that's um, that's just how it is. So, you guys, welcome to another uh, weekly installment of the <laughs> Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Muzzle. And my name is Scott Powell. It's kind of weird to call it a weekly installment. Yeah, I don't think you should have done that. Um, so It every- does sound weird just because it feels weird. Not yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not judging you. Um, I want to let the world know that let I'm him. I'm starting a YouTube channel. Okay. <laughs> Should I tell them that yet? You, it's too late now. I'm not editing it. Oh yeah, you're okay. stuck with it. Tell them. Tell yeah, the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys, it's forthcoming. Well, at least okay. This is what I'm doing. This okay. is really what I'm doing. Let's hear it. Is um, I'm uh, starting to record me making things. Um, that should be the name of it. Me making things. <laughs> me making things. <laughs> it's not. There's worse titles for podcasts. Yeah, yeah. When it's not a podcast, or it's YouTube it's, it's channels, YouTube channels, so, YouTube things. So, but but this is the thing is is that I'm I'm gonna like try to put an episode together and see if it's actually worth it. It is. You know, and no, then know and is. then then I'm gonna count on you, oh lanky guys, listeners, oh lanky listeners, to um scoop, subscribe to my channel. Um, if, if, if it happens or just pray, okay, this is what, this is what you do. There's a lot of priests. You guys are listening. There's a lot of lay people. Y'all are listening. Please pray that if God wants me to do it, that it's going to be sweet. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I was thinking like father's workshop or, um, father's workshop sounds like a show on PBS. Yeah, it does. It's it's like it, that sounds so soft from and nice. the from the early eighties. <laughs> Welcome to Father, and I should have puppets involved. Oh, Father's workshop! <laughs> <laughs> like, do you know how many actually making channels actually do have puppets involved? The I number one is the, the number one kind of making um, one is this guy Duresta, Jimmy Duresta, and he has a puppet hands of his cat, and he always is having his cat do like making things. It's really weird. Is man. it for real? Yeah, like, yeah. Is it legit? Yeah, yeah. It's a totally legit oh channel. Gosh. So. Well, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Basically, for more you, info. You know, on if that. you guys have some hot insight, then um, then let us know. And Can I? Oh, we'll, sorry. We'll go there. Let's do it, man. Um, two shout outs. Yo, yo. Well, they're not really shout outs, I guess. Shout it out. A couple of questions. Let that, it all out. Yep. A couple of questions uh, that have come up from people who want us to remind them of the fellas who are doing sort of a version of the Lanky Ass podcast in Spanish. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if you're looking for that, a couple of emails came in. Um, it's called La Cima Alta. La. Cima, C-I-M-A, Alta, A-L-T-A, okay. which means um, the highest peak, Dude, this which is, is cool because yeah. that's what the reading of the scriptures and the reflecting on them are. So um, anyway, check those guys out, La Cima, Alta. I, I think they're on iTunes. They're definitely on SoundCloud. Um, but if you would like to know that, that is there. We also have a joke that came in from a listener, which Ooh. I really oh. enjoyed. Oh, my goodness. So it it, it was related to our uh, uh, podcast about the baptism of the Lord. Where we talked about the nature of the water. When Jesus is baptized, the nature of the water is changed. Yeah. Right. And so that reminded, of course, one of our listeners, Grace, about a Chuck Norris joke that she once heard, <laughs> which is this. You know the Chuck Norris jokes? 
Yes. You know, you know that whole there's a whole genre of Chuck Norris jokes. Yeah, yeah. When Chuck Norris jumps into a swimming pool, he doesn't get wet, the water gets chucked. <laughs> Which was the right <laughs> thing to think of. And I'm it just made me I feel like yeah, we made our point if that's where your mind went because that's exactly what we're talking about. Dude, that right. is that is like the decent that is like the perfect summary. It is. So thank you to Grace for that uh Grace joke. If you send in your jokes, <laughs> we may actually find them funny. Yeah, I I found it funny. I found that sure. one funny. Yeah, I thought it was great. You know. It is the third Sunday in ordinary time. And uh, uh this is also the feast of St. Angela Marici. St. Angela Marici. Why do I know her. There's some uh, reference point I have deep in my mind for her, but I don't know what it is. Same here. Tell so, us about San Angelo Marici. I don't know. It's just oh, cool. it's just on it's just on my app that I pray see. for us. First reading is from Nehemiah chapter eight two to four a five to six eight to ten. Little piece mail, but that's all right, dude. That's Our piece mail. Our responsorial psalm is coming from early on in the Psalter, from Psalm number nineteen verses eight. 9, 10, and 15, and of course the response coming from John chapter 6, verse 63, which is a little bit, uh, yeah, it works. Whatever works, scripture. Uh, we have the long second form uh, reading, long form of the second reading. Yeah, but not the second one, because there's two options. Right, right, the, the, which the is first. 1 Corinthians 12 to 12.30. Well, our gospel is coming from the gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then jumping all the way to chapter 4... Uh, verses 14 through 21, which, which is, is an interesting jump that the church chooses to make. Well, it's just like it, they want to introduce the gospel, and then I think that they just want to skip the birth narratives. Yeah, did they need to, though? All right, that's, that, we'll <laughs> save that conversation. <laughs> this, is, is, this is really the question. I just, okay, sorry. No, no. But here, here's the thing, and we'll tell you about this more when we get there. It's, <laughs> it's not that, I'm not saying that they need to skip the birth narratives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to get to the point, there's a lot of birth narratives. But was the kind of prologue here actually necessary no, to no. get where we wanted to go? It doesn't seem like it is, which tells me that there's some other reason that the prologue is included. There's something about the prologue. Because you could have simply started with chapter 4, verse 14. He came to Nazareth where he grew up. It actually leads into the story just fine. But they've included the prologue for some do, reason. Do you have and an insight? No. I don't either. Maybe I do. Maybe I'll have one when we get there. Yeah, yeah man, because I was looking at that and I was like, what? I know I'm it's like, weird. If if it feels and it's weird uh, enough to tell me that there's something behind it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean like it's really kind of um glaringly weird. Yeah. So we'll get there. So More on that. Soon. Let's start with the Nehemiah, man. Yeah, Nehemiah. Um isn't ne- is Nehemiah the book where everybody repairs the wall in their own like place? What? Yep. Like they're like it's the walls, Hey yeah. everybody, repair the wall outside your house. No. It's the walls of the city. Right. But yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like wherever your house is, you go oh. repair the wall outside your house. Everybody got to contribute, help help reestablish Jerusalem. Yes. That's, yes. That's so, what all I ever really associate with the book of Nehemiah. No, that's it's actually an important reference point. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah it's hard to take apart from his uh his his buddy Ezra. And actually, so the books is, of Ezra and Nehemiah. Isn't there a band better than Ezra? Yes. Sounds very 90s Bodines. <laughs> <laughs> Better than Ezra. It sounds like some sort of pop punk band. It, I think it is. I don't know. I don't know. I Probably. To... I, yes, there is a band. Yeah. But I can't. I don't have a reference point for it. Anyway, um, and Ezra actually, Nehemiah talks about Ezra, his buddy the priest. So, so okay, here's where this sort of fits in the grand scheme of things. I'm actually really excited because we don't get Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, Nehemiah very often in the lectionary. 
Is this yeah, yeah, than Ezra? Yeah, yeah, dude. No, you know this song. It sounds very 1990s punk. Oh, this is better than Ezra. Sitting around the house, <laughs> doing something. Okay. okay. <laughs> that brought me back. Yeah, Man, I'm driving a 1981 Chevy Citation <laughs> down Broadway in that song. That brought me right back to sophomore year of high school. Dude, can we just, I just need to ask a question really quick. Why in the world would you ever name a vehicle Citation? Ever, <laughs> ever, ever. Well, I renamed it. To Edna Edding was the name of my car, but that's a do- that's a story for another podcast. That's right that's better than Edna, which is a different <laughs> oh my band. Gosh. <laughs> oh, which uh, is a great name for the podcast, but I'm probably going to edit all this. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Don't edit this out. No, I'm not going to edit okay, it out. No okay. one would never do that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ezra and Nehemiah. Here's where they fit into the scheme of salvation history. Ezra and Nehemiah are coming toward the end of the. Um, the narrative that makes up the Old Testament. So basically, um, you know, Israel developed into a nation, kingdom. Uh, We talked about the civil war that splits the kingdom in half, all the corruption, the idolatry, the terrible kings, all of which leads to exile. Remember, Babylon comes in and destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple. The prophets all warned them about this, and they're hauled off into slavery, those who weren't killed. They're in slavery. The remnant of what was Israel is in slavery for um, for a while, almost 100 years, I think, is about the, the time frame. Is that right? Seven, five? Yeah, yeah, roughly 100 years or so. Okay. And then the Babylonians are taken over by the Persian Empire, and there's a guy named Cyrus who's sort of this benevolent emperor, and he decides that it's better for his people in his empire to like him than to be terrified of him. And so one of the things he does was allow all of the people that the Babylonians had enslaved to go back home. And so he says to the Jewish people that were enslaved in Babylon, hey, you can go home, go back to Jerusalem, and I'm actually going to give you some of the money to rebuild your city and rebuild your temple so that you can start your life again, which isn't complete benevolence. He's partially thinking if they rebuild their temple, then people will offer tithes and I can tax that. So it's actually financially good for me for them to establish their city again. Anyway, um, it's this kind of pinnacle moment. He's also talked about in some of the prophets as this sort of sort of a messianic figure, not a messianic figure, but a savior figure, in that he does provide a level of salvation, so to speak. Not not an eternal one, but a very temporal kind of um, um, redemptive quality for the people of Israel, which is this great insight into the fact that God can use whoever he wants to to bring about his work. Right. And so he uses this Persian emperor. So what happens is, if you, if you remember the story of the exile itself, this is actually kind of fascinating. If you remember the story of the exile itself, There were three waves of exile when the people were taken out of Jerusalem and taken up to Babylon. And so they actually kind of fit neatly with three very important figures in the Old Testament. So Daniel, remember, was taken in the first wave of exiles because how the Babylonians like to do things, they would go into a new nation that they wanted to conquer. They would go and they would find all of the people that they considered important or, you know, highly skilled workers or whatever. And they would take them first and put them to work in their empire. And so Daniel was among them and he worked as a kind of a mid-level bureaucrat in the the Babylonian (laughs) government. So he was taken off. Then they come in and they kind of take, you know, whoever else that they thought was deemed important. And Ezekiel is taken in the second wave of exiles. And then they came back and they basically killed everybody else and took into slavery those who were left. And Jeremiah is the one who sort of witnesses that moment. So there's three moments of of being taken off into exile, which is significant, not just from a historical point of view, but it's also significant that there's three waves of return. When they come back from Babylon, it happens in three stages. And so... Um, 
There's actually a lot of people that never go back to Jerusalem. A lot of people just stay put in Babylon, what's now Persia. And actually, this is fascinating. Up until, because Cyrus the Persian was a good king, and he allowed people to live their life and had their synagogues up there and, and live a peaceful, peaceful life. Such to the point that up until, I think, the 1940s, the second largest Jewish population in the world was in the city of Baghdad. Right. Because so many people, maybe we've talked about this yes. because you're not impressed. Anyway. <laughs> well, no, no. Anyway, I, all that's to say. I, 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 I'm always impressed. I, You've heard this before. Though. But, yes. But it's just good to put ourselves kind of back into the scene. Right. So when they go back, and part of the reason nobody go, well, a lot of people don't go back is that there's nothing to go back to. Right. There's no Jerusalem anymore. There's no temple. There's no city. There's nothing. And so there has to be a few rounds of people going back and kind of building back up the infrastructure. And so the three rounds are this. First is a guy named Zerubbabel, who is the closest heir of the kingdom that they had. He's a distant family relative of the Davidic family. And so he kind of leads the first round, kind of as this sort of symbolic figure, takes people back. Then after that goes a guy named Ezra, who is the priest. And the priest leads people back as sort of the... So we have sort of the royal leader, the, the Davidic figure, so to speak. Jerubbabel. He leads the first group. And then, so Ezra's second round? Second round, and he's the spiritual leader. He's a priest and a scribe, and his job is to kind of spearhead rebuilding of the temple. Oh. So Zerubbabel re- leads the first, kind of the pioneers. Ezra leads the people who are charged with rebuilding the temple. And then Nehemiah is the political leader. He's going to become the governor of this area. And his task is to rebuild the walls of the city. And so if you kind of look at Ezra and Nehemiah as these contemporary figures, um, Nehemiah is charged with rebuilding the walls to the city. And Ezra is tasked with sort of rebuilding the walls of their hearts back up to God, rebuilding the temple of their hearts. And it's it's kind of a there's a beautiful uh, um, synergy that they actually have together and they work together. And part of the problem that they're going to deal with, the problem of this whole time period, and this is when you get prophets like Malachi, uh, Haggai, Zechariah, I think, fits into this time period. There's a couple prophets that show up. And we think of prophets primarily as coming when there's when there's times of trouble. Right. Right. Prophets come to warn. And this is a weird period where there's peace. They've, they're allowed to go home. But do you remember the message of the prophets in this time? It's actually a really significant moment because they go back to Jerusalem. And when they go back, there's a kind of lethargy. Number one, that they're like, oh, my gosh, this is so daunting. Everything is destroyed. Everything is lost. Everything needs to be rebuilt. Yeah. This is hard work. And they're just barely trying to scrape by, rebuild their own homes. And here's Ezra and then Malachi and Haggai and these prophets saying, hey, bef- we need to worry about our houses. That's that's true. But we need to worry about the temple, too. We need to rebuild God's house. I mean, it's great that we have our houses. But God's house needs to be priority, and the people are not convinced. And they're like, but we don't even have our comfy beds yet. Why should we worry about God's house? And it's not simply a a lethargy of, like, we don't feel like it. There's also this sense that, you know what, really, if you look back to the story, it was because of our unfaithfulness to the commands. It was because of our unfaithfulness to the temple. I mean, Jeremiah said pretty point blank, the temple itself has become a den of robbers and thieves and has been the source of your punishment. It's because the temple was corrupted. And so I bet there's sort of a reticence of like, oh my gosh, I don't know if we're ready to rebuild this thing that was the source of all of the. <laughs> That's uh, problematic. Everything's cool for the Peter. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, but there's this sense of we, we don't know if we want to do that. And not to mention God's presence is gone. We right. it left. There's no presence of God. Why should we rebuild the temple? And so. All of these books in this time period are basically trying to rouse the people into realizing, no, 
we have to show God that we're ready for him to rebuild us as a people. God's never going to force himself on us. He's not going to force us to be a great nation again. We have to show him that our hearts are available. We are ready. And I always call it the field of dreams theology, right? If you build it, he will come. Right. But we have to do this. And so that's actually where we sort of get this beautiful speech on the part of Ezra, who's trying to rouse the people who are... Number one, they're kind of lethargic. They're tired. They're exhausted. It's been a long period of exile and slavery. There's a lot of work ahead of them. Everything kind of feels lost. Nothing's the same as it used to be. It's really hard. It's really difficult. It's really depressing because things were great before and they're not now. And that's where we step into this great speech where Ezra says he brings the law, which is the scriptures. You know, we're living in this period where Israel has a really hard time being Israel because what it meant to be Israel was to be a people whose God was in was present in this temple with us, who had liturgy and priesthood and sacrifice and all of these things, all of which are gone because there's no temple or sacrifice or really priesthood anymore. Right. And so Ezra, one of the remaining priests, is like, hey, we've still got God's word. He's still here with us, even though we can't see him as clearly. Right. And so he brings the word of God and the law and the Torah and he, he uh, brings it before all these people, the young and the old and the children and everybody. And he stands at the end of this open place that used to be where the temple was as they're trying to rebuild it. And he read the scriptures. And it's probably Deuteronomy. He's reading out the book of the law. He's reading the Torah from daybreak until midday. And he's just standing there reading it. And he's like, maybe if they hear it again, mm. it will rouse their hearts. And in the presence of everybody, and they listened attentively. Ezra, the scribe, he stood on this wooden platform. It had been made just for the occasion. He opened the scroll so that everyone could see it, for he was standing up higher than them. He opened it. The people rose up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And the people, their hands raised high. They answered, amen. They're like, we remember this. Yes. We agree. Yeah, no, this rouses us. And they bow down, they prostrate themselves, their faces to the ground. And it says, Ezra read plainly from the book of the law of God, that's probably Deuteronomy, interpreting it so that they all understand what was read. He's kind of giving a homily. It's the proclamation of the scriptures and then a homily about them. And Nehemiah, his kind of right-hand man, the, the governor, his excellency, and Ezra the priest scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people, they all said, hey, you guys, today is holy to the Lord. Don't be sad. Don't weep. Don't be disheartened. For all the people were weeping. They heard the words of the law, and I bet it was just reminding them of all the ways that they've fallen short. Right. All the ways that their people blew. This is what well, we I mean, were supposed is, to be. I mean, the exile was, what, 100 years? About so, I mean, imagine being- 586 a, to about 444-ish. America's 200 years old. Yeah. That's a long exile. That's like half of America. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like how easy is it to forget who you really are yeah. when you're away for 100 years? I mean, this is what, three generations? <sighs> Something like that. You know, two and a half generations? At this, By this point, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, like it, it would, of course, they would weep because they would say, oh, who are we? Yeah. And like, there's nothing. And we're remembering who we used to be. We know who we were. Right. But who are we now? Right. That's the important point. Right. And listen to what he says, because they're all weeping. And he's like, go and get rich food. Go get wine. Go get sweet drinks. Let's have a party. Get some Gatorade. Let's, let's have some Gatorade. We're tired. But let's have a feast because today is holy to the Lord. Do not be saddened, but rejoice in the Lord to your strength. And I just picture these people in like the pit of what used to be the temple with maybe some scaffolds up and like some semblance of things kind of coming back together, weeping over what is lost. And he's like, kill the fat calf, bring the wine, let's party because we are home. This is a day holy to the Lord and he wants to rebuild us today. In the midst of all this darkness, he is rebuilding us. Right. And they're like, all right, we're, we're tracking with you. We're trying. You know, it reminds me of, um, there's this, I literally don't know where this came from, but um, there was a sister who was talking about how 
um, a, a sister nun, a religious saint, sister, religious sister okay. saint nun t- type <laughs> person, who uh, I, it could have been Mother Teresa. All right, but every but, but everything's attributed Everything. to Saint Francis and Mother Teresa and John Paul II. There's basically just... and Winston Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> he gets all the rest. Absolutely, um, but it's like uh, no. What you do is you just say thank you to God for for answering your. Yeah. For answering your petitions. When when things are really hard, you just mm. say, oh, thank you, God, for doing this. Because yeah. it's like, there's something about the spiritual quality of saying like, no, I'm just going to rejoice. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not going to actually be beat up by this. I'm going to let this be a beautiful moment of like, because uh, sometimes like it's easy to just say like, oh, it's never going to be as good. I mean, it's kind of like first and second temples stuff. Yeah. You say all the people totally. who saw the second temple, they said, this sucks. And they wept because it wasn't as good. Yes. But in reality, what's happening is that we are a, a people who like have discovered and have gotten this gift and like who say, wow, okay, hold on. We have been returned. We can do this work. We're going to do this work. This work isn't too much for us. Yes. It's not going to beat us up. In fact, we're going to drink some pineapple juice. And uh, we're gonna drink some pineapple juice because, dude, I think that pineapple juice is so good. I had some last night, and it's was, pretty good. And I was like, Oh, Father Sean, thanks for buying me pineapple juice. Yeah, good. For, he bought you pineapple juice. Well, I mean, that's he bought it, friend. he bought it for us. Yeah, it's a good friend, though. Yeah, absolutely. Bring the pineapple juice. That's bring, what Ezra's saying. That's what he's saying. Bring on the pineapple juice, which actually I think is a really good lead into the psalm, which is, um, stealing from John <laughs> for its response, which is which is good though. Right. Because um the the response itself from John is actually giving kind of the explanation for the psalm itself, which right. the the line from John is your words, Lord, are spirit and life, which is the explanation for this Psalm in nineteen that says the law of the Lord is perfect, it refreshes the soul, it's trustworthy, it gives wisdom to the simple. And I love it within the con- literally what what are we hearing? We're seeing a people who is disheartened. We're seeing a people who has lost their lost their identity, who is weeping over their past, who is weeping over all that is lost, have no clue what the future looks like. Everything looks pretty bleak and dark and hard and difficult. But simply hearing the word of the Lord is enough to actually rouse their hearts. And I think we forget and sometimes as we Catholics, don't forget, man, because this is a this is you're you're just talking about the contemporary age. You're talking about so many people and how they're responding to the church. And so many people who are actually listening to the lanky guys and we just be, really all we are is it to, to service of the word. I mean we're doing what Ezra is doing. Right. Hey, here's what it says and then we're trying to explain it. That's right. what Ezra's doing. He's standing on a platform saying, hey, let's listen to this, and here's what it means. Right, and that, that's like the the great joy. I mean, mm. we're just humble donkeys that are just trying to trying to do that. And right. and it's funny because Scott and I, um, you guys, we, uh, we oftentimes, we just talk of like real things before we get on the podcast. We have an agreement that we won't talk about all the readings until right. we um, do it. But then we, you know, we spend a, a time just like sharing our hearts with each other, yeah. but talking about political things and going into stuff. And, mm. and uh, sometimes it's like super duper heavy. And I always find that after we've gone through and actually done the podcast that I'm, I'm quite a bit more roused to like mm. engage my life again. I'm always tired from the amount of junk food we eat. <laughs> 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 no, but you're right. But, but, but to acknowledge that, no, it's the scriptures that are doing that. Absolutely. It's not simply the report. It's not simply the, but but it's all those things because the scriptures are meant to have a context. Right. They're meant to have a context within friends discussing. They're meant to have a context within this priest sermonizing about it. Right. But this, it's the scriptures that have the power. Right. And when put into the right hands, they they will, when put in the wrong hands, they rouse the soul. This is actually one of the things Paul says in Philippians. <laughs> Even if people are hearing the scriptures proclaimed out of spite and anger, at least people are still hearing it. And it's powerful enough 
that it still rouses the soul. It's soul. It still lets Jesus Christ be proclaimed, even if it's done wrongly. Even if you're at a mass with a lousy, meaningless homily, you're still hearing the scriptures proclaimed, and it still has the innate power to rouse the soul, if yeah. you let it. I, I really like the, your slip of the tongue. You say? rouse the stole. The stole. Because <laughs> yeah. you could actually do metimony with a priest and make and reduce a priest down to the stole. Oh, I don't want to reduce you to your stole. Hey, no, that's good. But I, what I think is really cool is that um, I hate being in front of people and having it be about me. You don't mm. even know. In fact, it actually mm. is so intimidating that I had a real, like I had anxiety about my ordination mm. because I knew that people were going to be looking at me Whereas I can get up every single day and I can get in the pulpit and I can even talk about me in relationship to the scriptures, but it's only because of the scriptures. I want pointing. my, right. I want everything yeah. in my whole life to point towards Jesus Christ. That's why you give good homily. I mean, that's why you do what you do well, because once you make it about you, it doesn't work anymore. Right. Because the scripture, the Psalm doesn't say Father Peter has the power to rouse the soul. Right. You do if you're actually pointing at things that are real. Not that you're not real. Well, this it, is breaking down. <laughs> uh, no, a life sub, a, a life submitted to God glorifies God. Yes, exactly. And then you, right. then uh, that's what the that's the story of Israel in laid, laid out in individual people, and that's the story of the lives of you listening right now. Is that you uh, more increasingly surrender your lives to God, and mm. you're becoming refreshed and like the clan of the, and and many of you it says giving wisdom to the simple. Yes, I'm pretty that's simple. Me. Is really the truth of it. Mm. You're, you're pretty, pretty simple. You're pretty complicated. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> no. Uh, so that's like, let the words of my mouth and the thought of my heart find favor before you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's how I feel about the podcast. And that's how I feel about my upcoming YouTube channel. Mm. That's actually, I just really do. I want to live in such a way that everything that I do is some way going to give glory to God. Mm. Even though I fall way stupid short of that. Which is why I really love Ezra and Nehemiah. Because that's their whole task is trying to rouse these people in darkness beyond themselves to see what they can't see with their eyes. Right. All you can see is what's before you. Mm. But and and this is this I was about to say it sounds very Protestant, but what I mean by that is that it reminds me of my days in the Protestant churches that actually helped form who I am and how I knew Jesus. Right. This this understanding that sometimes we forget as Catholics, which is what I was getting at before of how powerful just the Bible is. And when you have nothing else, they have nothing else here. They don't have a temple. They don't have a liturgy. They don't have the sacrifice. They don't have anything, but they have the word and the word is powerful. And I think we forget sometimes because we think sometimes as Catholics, and maybe I'm just speaking to myself, that the Bible is supplementary. It's, it's, it's a side note to something else. Like the other stuff is really important. And yeah, the Bible's cool too. And we can read the Bible and that's important, but really it's this other stuff, but no, it's, this is the word of God, which is why, you know, in mass and every mass, there's only two things that are placed on the altar, the word of God made written and the word of God made flesh. Right. The Eucharist and the scriptures, those are placed on the altar. Those are reverenced because they have the value that nothing else has. But again, as Catholics, sometimes we, which is why I love doing this podcast, because right. it's good to remind people how powerful the scriptures actually are. Well, you know, it's so fun as a priest is that I can tell when people have been affected by the word of God by how they receive communion. Interesting. Um, because you can tell. Like, now I'm going to be super self-conscious. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody else who's listening to the podcast. <laughs> like, oh, no. Uh, no, no. Like, you just, like, like sometimes you're roused. And when yeah. you're roused uh, by, by the scriptures, mm. 
then when you the manner which with which you approach the Eucharist is just more vulnerable. Yes, it's just more yeah. open because you. That makes sense. You know, it's like it's the it's the it's beautiful. I mean, mm. I, I have a lot of metaphors and analogies that I can use for it, and, and like, um, you know, so it's yeah. I'm not going to. No, it's good though. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. I think it's a good lead into the second yeah. reading. We are one body. That's not what it is. Hold on, what is it? Come one on, sing the body in Christ, and we do not stand alone. Dude, you know that's that the one is. you want? No, it's from no. World Youth Day, ninety-three. Yeah, of course, baby. Um, no, like um, we are many parts. parts. I knew what you were getting. I, I'm. I. We are one body. I know what's happening at all times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a puppeteer. Did, did you you just pull my strings? Is that what you just a said? A tiny bit, a tiny bit. You don't pull my strings. I did a bro. little bit because I knew that the World Youth Day '93 song would get you going. Yeah, man. I knew you'd get sucked into it. I got to see, hear the original gal sing it at uh, this me too at Mile High Stadium. At what? You were you at the Mile High? No, I was in Civic Center Park watching it on the big screen. No way. Yeah, were you not there? No, you were stealing signs or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> you were doing dude, I thing. was I was out like uh, I was out like uh, crashing cars and. <laughs> Literally, dude, I crashed. Cars. Yeah, dude, I crashed my brother's car, and, and I during World Youth Day. Yeah, yeah, oh and, man, dude, I I uh, took a turn super fast. What do you mean you crashed his car? You were like thirteen. No, sixteen, bro. Sixteen. Yeah. 14, so, 13, yeah, oh, whatever. Ninety three. I was sixteen, and I just turned sixteen, and uh, I I. Uh, you know, cor- you're saying cor- all this on air. Whatever yeah, yeah, you're about yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I took. I was. I was a drag racing against a punk rockers in a Subaru, and I, I took a corner too <laughs> we fast. We saw their car the other day. <laughs> and, 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 low I, and I skidded out and uh, and nailed a rental car f- uh, uh, for a journalist who had all of his equipment in the trunk, and I oh. nailed it directly at like forty. Oh, jeez. It was it was really freaking intense. That's really bad. Yeah, yeah. He was mad. Well, that's a great lead, lead in, in to dude. the many parts. That was your job in the body of Christ at that uh, moment. Dude, it really. We I all guess. have different jobs. <laughs> <laughs> we all have different tasks, and yours was to keep that journalist humble. I guess so, man. Uh, if you're listening, oh journalist, who I hit, please. Tell me it was you because I would love to reconnect with you. <laughs> He's not listening. Maybe he is. I don't know. That would be the weirdest thing ever yep. if he actually was a listener. That would be that would be providence. You're the kid. He's never gonna listen again. He's <laughs> <You>. so bad. <mad. laughs> you meddling oh. kids. So okay, I'm I'm what do we do with this? I, I was actually a little frustrated by this. I'm not frustrated by it. But it's a, this is a hard one for me to connect. I mean, I guess what I what I'm seeing is exactly what we're talking about. Well, I, okay. Here, I guess what I'm seeing in this reading and the church's choice with this is putting. And you're gonna you're gonna make this something profound, but I'm gonna make it very practical. Um, I'm seeing the relationship to not just Ezra and Nehemiah, but the the whole task of coming back after exile, because the way that God st- uh, structures the return of His people and being built back up is that there are these different figures who have very specific roles, and they're very important. Like I mean, the I, three we just talked like about. Like the three we just talked about. And I love the story of Ezra and Nehemiah because these are good friends who work together and realize, no, we have very different roles in accomplishing the same task, which is rebuilding the people of God. Right. We need walls. We need a city. 
We need a temple. We need liturgy. And we're going to work together to make sure that happens. And you can see just because of human nature, you know, there's always this idea that, well, no, it's more important that we establish the infrastructure first and then we can worry about your church and your, or, or vice versa and kind of infighting. And these are two leaders of the people, yet they defer to each other and they submit to each other's job and their role in the task of building people up after exile. And there's a beauty to that. And even the way that Nehemiah supports, even our first reading, the way that Ezra is reading the scriptures and reading the law and rousing the people's hearts. And then as he calls them to have celebration and bring the feast stuff, it's just, there's a neat sort of uh, life working together of, of how they actually make this happen. Right. There are many parts, but they are all one body, Father Peter. Yeah, I mean, does that make sense? It does. So that's, a, I don't think that's the fullness of what's here, but there's something very kind of nuts and bolts to me about that. Well, yeah. What, what I mean, where where are we going? I mean, ultimately, this is like uh, this is expressing rebuilding. So, yes. so we're just we have we have a, the deep question of like, what does it look like to re- rebuild? Oh, which is interesting because the Corinthians uh, takes it actually piece by piece. How do you rebuild something? You do it piece by piece. Right. This is Paul talking about the body of Christ is actually made up of parts, living but stones, together, living stones put together, built back up. Well, that's interesting. I don't know if that's where you're going. I kind of stole your thunder. That's exactly what I'm. But you, you actually exactly really hit saying. me with that. That's actually really. I. That's cool. You, you, you hit me deeply. That, that, that what happens is we see that the the three different parts, um, uh, that we see in returning from exile, Zerubbabel, from, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Yeah. Right. That that in fact that's actually going to come all together in yes. one in Christ, and yes. then we're going to be built up into yes. yes, into yes, li- yes. from living stones. That the temple yes. is not abstract from the spiritual, mm. and that the leadership is not actually abstract from from the um, spiritual. I th- I think that's great. I think that's perfect. I think that's exactly it, though. That you nailed it. But but uh, but at the same time, he really gets into the nitty gritty and like talking about like. <laughs> There's he like, does. That's I think what bothers me about it. But it's it, it's good. And it's always the one where you're like, um, great, God has so constructed the body as to give greater honor to a part that is without it, so that there may be no division in the body. But the parts that may have the same concern, so that the parts may have same concern for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part honors, all the parts share its joy. Mm. Now we, and then those parts of the body we consider less honorable, we surround with greater honor, and our less presentable parts are treated with greater propriety. You're like, what? (laughs) 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 What? You're like, you're like, I think you're taking this metaphor really far, dude. (laughs) But it's kind of beautiful that he's kind of taking it. That Not far. too far, but pretty darn far. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, he still remains in propriety about how he's. I'm actually just a little toenail it. in the body of Christ. That is who I am, dude. I is that gross? I don't know. I I don't. I'm not grossed out unless it's kind of a nasty toenail. But like, uh, if you consider Christ's toenails nasty, then I guess that's, 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 <laughs> no, on, that's I, on you. <laughs> no, I think he had perfect toenails. Thank you. Yeah, you, you were, were a, probably pretty uh, calloused and, and beat up. Though he was a carpenter, he was a stonemason for Pete's sake. Yeah, but he but he was perfect in every yeah, way. But he also was oh for Pete's sake. But he suffered. He got pretty beat up. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the whole cross, right? Yeah, I mean this is doesn't the, mean his fingernails were perfect. That's not what God the Godhead took on human flesh with. You know, it was interesting. I was talking with somebody about um about how um I was like the weird little projects that I do and uh, and how how I was just I was being encouraged just to be able to remain within the mm. the. The things that I do, because like I was like I I struggle with the strange interests that I have. That's fair, you, you know. And to say like, how does that fit, and why is that a giftedness? Mm. Mm. 
And like, and like, I, I think that St. Paul, in, as he's kind of getting into the grit of that, is actually trying to say like, no, there are wide and various. I mean, of course, he gives mm. the big genres again, yep. you know, of, uh, you know, of, of prophets and. Uh, oh, of what? Uh, uh, sorry, I said uh, a father. Father Eric Gilbaugh is calling me on my phone right now. Really? Uh, yeah. Maybe yeah, that's who just called me a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, and he, sa- he says, you know, apostles, prophets, teachers, mighty deeds, yeah, healing, yeah. assistants, administrations, varieties of tongues. Yeah. Are all apostles? Nope. Prophets? Nope. Teachers? Nope. Do all work mighty deeds? Nope. Nope. Do all have gifts of healing? Nope. nope. Do all speak in tongues? Nope. nope. Do all interpret? Nope. nope. That's it. That's like the end of the reading. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. And, uh, and I just, I just think that it's, it's like no. He, he's saying like there's more variety than we ever have any idea about. Um, and the, here's some big genres. One of which is, of course, our buddy Luke. Luke, Luke. He's a bit of a variety. Yeah. He's Luke. Luke is actually interesting. It's interesting, and I'm, I'm reading way too much in probably. It's interesting in light of saying that and coming from the reading that said exactly that, that we get the account of. Literally the most different of the New Testament writers that there is. He, he, Luke is distinct from all the other New Testament writers in the sense that he's the only non-Jew that actually writes a New Testament book. He's the only sort of outsider. He's the only Gentile that actually comes in and does this. And I wonder if part of why the church keeps his little prologue in the reading this week is that to understand all of these different parts of the body and how they fit and why that's actually cr- not just necessary, but crucial. It's not just important that we all have many parts, but it's crucial to the body. It's important that we actually give the prologue of Luke's explanation of himself and how he actually fits into the paradigm of Christianity. Because that's actually what his prologue is doing. So it's Luke basically saying, hey, I know that other people have written gospels. I know that others have done what I'm about to do, but... Even though other, others, literally, he says, since many have other undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have taken place, been fulfilled among us, just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the world word have handed them down to us, I too decided I wasn't there. I wasn't an eyewitness. I wasn't an apostle. But I'm, I'm in this now. And actually, what Luke is essentially saying is, I wasn't an eyewitness. I wasn't one of the apostles, but I've had the word handed down to me by the eyewitnesses, by the ministers, who are probably the apostles. And what he's essentially saying is the same thing that we read in Nehemiah, that the word was so powerful when he took flesh, even though I didn't know him, I heard the word from the mouths of those who did. And the word proclaimed aroused my soul such to the degree that I had to be a part of this and not only be a part of it, I had to write my own account. I had to convey that word in my words so that it could be spread to the rest. He's actually embodying in a very real way what Nehemiah is saying, right? right? Absolutely. Which is part of the importance, I think, of this prologue. Well, that's a really interesting. I, I mean, I, I think about you and I are both a fruit of the um, the the reinvigoration of the spirit in 97. Yeah. And in a big way, I mean, we, we got to see our grandfather honored, um, Scott Hahn. Spiritual grandfather, yeah. Our spiritual grandfather. Grand, grandfather, yeah. Yeah, honored. Uh, in, and, but it was his particular love. At the seat conference. At the seat conference, his particular love of scriptures and yeah. him pouring that out. And, and then. And into then, our mentors. Into our mentors. Who then Tim honored Gray, their mentor. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, like, and seeing that like there's this. This, the word just needs to be proclaimed, and literally it has such a profound effect that it can transform the face of the earth. Literally, exactly. we're seeing it right now. And that's exactly what Luke is saying. 
And, and this is what happened. This is my testimony proving the point that Nehemiah was making. Right. It worked. And isn't it interesting? Because Paul is very creative in how he interprets narrative. That's actually what Corinthians doing is yeah. he's saying, here's the narrative. Here's all these different parts. Yeah. And I'm going to actually help you understand what it looks like and get a, give a narrative meaning to the right. rebuilding of the temple in, in, a, in, a, in a living stone capacity. And who's Paul's right-hand man? Nehemiah. Luke. <laughs> Luke, Luke is his scribe. No. Luke is Paul's right-hand man. That's actually how Luke gains legitimacy as a gospel. Because oh, all right. of the gospels had to be tied back to an apostle. Luke's tied to Paul because oh, he was right. his right-hand man. So, I mean, this is all kind of coming around and all of the parts of the body are kind of are kind of showing up and coming together in this. So the more we talk about it, the more crucial I see of this little prologue, which is just Luke's testimony as to why this is important. Mm. It makes perfect sense. And an orderly sequence that you, the lover of God, may realize the certainty of the teachings you have received. Right. That you may be roused by the word, as I was roused by the word, as right. Nehemiah roused the exiles by the word. As Scott it, uh, riled Tim, riled us. Yeah, exactly. Scott Hahn. Yeah. Not me. So then we get that. So that's the foundation as to why this fits. But then we jump and here's where the church makes the jump. And now we do something different because what's happening, and I, I think what's happening here, and this is sort of a macro sense of it, right? Nehemiah, well, Ezra, it's Nehemiah's book, but it's, it's Ezra who's making the proclamation. I think I've mistaken that a couple times on the podcast. Okay. It's Ezra talking in the first reading. Right. Nehemiah's recording it. But Ezra is making this proclamation in the midst of what is believed is sort of the end of exile, right? We're back in the land. We're rebuilding. We're starting again. Right. But here's the catch. No one actually, in hindsight, believed that that was the end of the exile. They were back in the land, but the land wasn't theirs. It was controlled by the Persians. And yay, Cyrus the Persian gave us a check to help us rebuild things, but it's still his check. We're still behoven to him. <laughs> it's not It's not a check. But you know what I mean. It's yeah. not our land. We're still enslaved. We're still oppressed. And they're, they're going to be oppressed by the Greeks and then the Romans after that. Exile has not finished yet. So when they're back in the land, they still have about 400 more years of exile that they have to face. And so they're standing in the midst of this crater that used to be the temple, trying to look ahead to a future that they cannot see, that maybe Ezra thinks is right on the horizon, but in fact, the horizon's not going to come for 400 more years. And what the Gospels actually do is take us into the point where everything that Ezra was pointing the people toward has now come about. Ezra is pointing to this moment in Luke chapter 4. When, when Jesus marches into the synagogue in his hometown, picks up the scriptures, makes a proclamation of the word that is the word. What he reads is the is the 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 jubilee, um, the jubilee reading that talks about the year of the Lord's favor, the time that all of the debt of Israel, all of the slavery of Israel, all of the land that was lost, everything will be rebuilt and restored. And Jesus says, today, all of those things have been fulfilled in your hearing. You're looking at it. Ezra is ultimately pointing ahead in celebration, saying, get the wine, get the fatted calf. Let's celebrate something that will not happen for 400 more years. Mm. But we are so confident in God's word that's been handed on to us that we know it will come. Mm. And as my little part in the body of, of what, who will be Christ, who is Christ, but we don't know him yet, Ezra is saying, this is my tiny little piece in building up the body that will not really even be seen in its fullness for 400 some more years until Jesus marches into that synagogue in Nazareth and says, yeah, it's today. All of this culminates in me. Yeah. Because 
In Ezra's time, the word was proclaimed and the word had the power to rouse our souls, which is true. But then the word did something totally unexpected, which was the word took on actual human flesh. And the word which was proclaimed from the voices of Ezra and Nehemiah in the first reading now actually marches into a synagogue and says, look at me, I'm real and I'm enfleshed. And that's what all of this has been leading us toward. Well, it's like such a profound leap. It's I mean, a big it's, leap. It's uh, and and like who knew that prophecy was going to bring such a fuller expression. But I'm also as you're talking, I'm just kind of like uh, I love structure, and so mm. I'm thinking a year of favor favor to the Lord, and today this is fulfilled in your hearing, and then it is not yet His hour. So I was just thinking <laughs> year day hour. I mean, this I is know, confusing like, chronology. <laughs> was, it is confusing. It, it's it's actually just really it's just really interesting in the in that capacity. Yes, uh, but. Yeah, I want to I want to know more about Jubilee and like exactly how to like set because I mean the Jubilee as a theme. I mean this is how it. I all I think starts. it is the theme of the whole Gospel of Luke. Right. So the we're, idea of release. Right. Which, and you can't understand the Jubilee without the Exodus. Right. Without the idea of freedom from slavery, freedom from oppression, and a new land being given to us and debt being erased. I mean, it was established in the time of the Exodus, and the idea was you if you understand what God has done for you you have no choice but to do it for those around you. Mm. And Jesus says, well, you have misunderstood that for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I'm going to blow it up in a way that you never expected. (laughs) Because really the exodus, the real exodus, was not about a political slavery. It wasn't about a monetary debt. It wasn't about a geographic landedness. It was about the land of all of creation and the indebtedness of sin that you have and the oppression slavery to the evil one that you're facing. That's what today is going to be released, Mm. which is the whole task of the Christ event is to release us from all that, which is what the Jubilee is, Mm. which is what Ezra was pointing to, which was what Nehemiah was actually celebrating, none of whom actually knew what this meant yet, but they knew enough because of the power of the word of God to begin to celebrate because yeah. we know God's doing something. Mm-hmm. These are cool readings. Yeah, the, the, this uh, came out way cooler than I was going to, I was imagining <laughs> it did. As it should be. I'm invigorated. Me too. Dude, well, I'm hey, roused. I'm going to, I'm going to go rouse myself into the snow. <laughs> okay. Deal. Okay. See yeah. you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.